Welcome to the Raptors show on the Sportsnet Radio Network presented by Coors Light. Go from full time to game time. Coors Light made to chill. Make sure you find the Raptors show wherever you listen to podcasts and subscribe. And please rate and review the show. I'm your host, William Lou. I'm joined for segment one by my two co-hosts, Blake Murphy, Alex Wong. Alex, what's going on, man? It's a little too cold to be wearing uh, Crocs, but I see you rocking the Crocs. Yeah, and I've also got my uh, Canadian Blind Hockey Association jersey on. Just want to shout out to my guy, Luca DeMontis. He's a program manager there. A few years ago, I had a chance to work on a project, get to know the Blind Hockey Association a bit more, talk to some of the players. So just want to show some love to them today. So That's awesome. Also, great name, Luca DeMontis. You want yeah. to, does he want to throw Jokic <laughs> in as a, as a middle name? Just get the whole Western Conference uh, European star? <laughs> Yeah, how are you guys doing, man? What happened last yeah. night? Anything happened in your lives? What happened last since night? We, since I, we chatted? I, I made a whole pot of chili during the Raptors oh, next nice. game. It was actually not... Because, you know, you can't just do one thing during the game. Yeah, you put your dirty feet up. Okay. Your little bed set up in front of the TV, which... No, no, no. That's, that's, that's the... That's you the made chili. TV. Okay, that's I, nice. I, I made chili during the game. Blake, okay, Blake, well, what did you Blake, do, what did you do yesterday, man? I watched the basketball game. No, I mean, I watched uh, the game. Yeah, I, I, nothing. I, I was here until fun. like, I don't know, like five working on some stuff. And then I just went home and watched ball. That's, uh, that's what I do on nights where there's like 12 NBA games. That's what I I'm do. I'm boring. I watch. Uh, yeah, anyways. All right. I guess we got to get to it. The <laughs> Toronto did, Raptors it, lose. It, if you're trying to put off the Raptors <laughs> stuff, I did. I dusted off my business school uh, education. And, and you have the accounting background that maybe you'd appreciate. Uh. As all the news about the Shohei contract specifics were coming out, yes. I was like reminding myself what like the time value of money calculation mm. is. And I was like in the MLB CBA trying to see how they handled deferred payments and stuff like that. It's pretty creative. They get the annual hit down from 70 to like 46 million for luxury tax purposes. Uh, do not, the NBA couldn't get their hands on this because contract lengths are, are capped anyway. Mm-hmm. But you would absolutely see the light years warriors giving out like 40 year deferrals. So like Steph's daughter gets twenty million in this year down the line to lessen the luxury tax. Well, yeah. Hold on, for context for casuals like me, what is the, so we we obviously heard he's going to sign for a seven hundred million dollar yes. deal, but it's not structured that way. So it is a ten year seven hundred million dollar deal, but he will only be paid twenty million dollars during the life of the deal. He's going to make two million dollars a season. And then there are 10 years of deferrals where he'll get 68 million each year. So he will get $700 million in Mm -hmm. real money, but because of inflation and the assumptions we make about inflation rates and interest rates, um, the MLB collective bargaining agreement assumes uh, roughly a 4% annual interest rate or Mm -hmm. inflation rate. That money is not worth $700 million in today's dollars. That is closer to, getting 460 million right this second. So that's how their CBA treats it for luxury tax purposes. Like, ah, 600 and, you know, $680 million 10 years from now is really only going to be worth about $440 million today plus the $2 million he makes every year. Yeah, wow. Saying Malachi Flynn makes more than Shoei Otani annually right I'm now? I'm telling you right now, Garrett Temple is over $2 million at the league minimum. Any, any vet minimum who, like, has 10 years of service time. Yeah, we'll be making more than Shohei this year. But and so why this is possible, and I got asked by a couple of people, could the Jays do that with like Bo's extension or Vlad's extension? Mm. They could. There's no rule against it. But the reason Shohei is able to do this is he makes an estimated 40 to 50 million dollars annually in endorsements. Mm. Okay. And right. so he doesn't need the near term cash flow. He can, you know, do this, get the headline contract item, get the money further down the line. 
and take way less now. And day to day, it doesn't affect them that much. Um, and it also frees the Dodgers up, you know, under the luxury tax because they're going to be a deep tax team. But like the the comparison is like, what if the Warriors and Steph sat down for his, you know, you know, or yeah. the Clay extension they, that they're not getting done? What if you could just pay him the minimum and give him all the money way later and, and with way less of a tax impact? This is a uh, this is an amazing. It's not even a loophole, I suppose. No, it's it's collectively it's like, bargained. Yeah, it's it's. I, I kind of now hope that like other players, because you know, you get to the point where, especially when Obi, Kobe got older in his career, where it was like he was taking up so much of the salary cap, and it, it prevented the Lakers from getting any other talent to play with him financially. Mm-hmm. And like, it's like a problem that I guess a lot of stars end up putting themselves into because they're obviously worth a max, but there's a salary cap. And it's like, even LeBron now, like, imagine if the Lakers, LeBron was just like, you know what, actually, I, I make probably more off the court than I do on the court. Let me just uh, make the league minimum and, and just add another max salary slot to their... They would add Russell Westbrook, so... Well... I don't know if that would actually... It might be better that LeBron's taking you know up what? some room. I, I, it's fun to, to, to joke about Rob Polinka's management, but it's been undeniably better than our management for the last couple of years. It's a low bar. Um, anyways. Wait until they sign Gary Trent on a on a low money deal this offseason because the long term deal isn't there and another clutch client rehabs their image with the Lakers uh, like shooting forty percent on wide well, open catch and shoot. Maybe books. we should we maybe we should just get really tight with one agency then. Uh, yeah, there's nothing stopping the Raptors from also applying these strategies. Yeah, but. Blake, you know this because it's baseball. Every time there's this clip that goes around with David Ortiz every time I think the Yankees lose, where he just goes, The Yankees lose. Yeah, this is what we're gonna do on this show. Now. Okay. The Raptors, lose. the Raptors lost again. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We're gonna to talk the about last night's game. Yeah. Yeah. Um, great game. You know, up and down, <laughs> up and down we go. Try to win a shootout. Okay. Can't win a shootout. No defense. Yeah. You're a throw, loser. Throw away possessions in the fourth quarter. Uh huh. Make some threes in the third. Doesn't matter. Get cooked by all the dogs on the Knicks. Knicks got a lot of dogs, man. Josh Hart. Certified dog. You got to show some respect to Julius Randle, too. Julius Randle, man. He made so many, like, leaning Tower of Pisa Jaylen, jumpers. Jalen Brunson. Jalen Brunson. Yeah, of course. Isaiah Julius, can we spend an yes. extra minute Let's on Julius it. Randle, Let's though? Because, like, the quality of shot making he made in that game oh. was ridiculous. Like, Scotty Barnes is physical with him. They were basically the only two guys playing physical this whole game. Um, and Randall would just, whether it was Barnes, whether it was OG, whether it was Jakob, he's just able to eat against OG even. He couldn't, like, get space, but he could just, like, create enough space to get that fade off. I don't think he shot a jump shot vertically. No, like that's everything I mean. yeah. was fading away. He hit so many of those baseline ones. There was one play late where he, him and Brunson do an action and he's got Schroeder on a mismatch and he's dead. He picks mm-hmm. up his dribble at the wrong spot. He's at the elbow. Schroeder like sits off enough that Randall's not going to be able to post him or whatever. Randall pivots like three times looking for someone to pass to. Yep. And then as the clock expires, just fades away in the paint, like at the elbow yep. over a couple of defenders. And it's just like, even that scenario where he made the mistake, picked up the dribble wrong spot. Nobody could get open around him. He's just not, nah, I'll bail it out with a tough jumper. And this is, there are a lot of things that the Raptors did poorly last night mm-hmm. and the transition defense was bad and their defensive execution against Randall, you know, at the very start of the third quarter was bad enough that Darko took a, a timeout like 90 seconds into the, into the half. Yeah. Um, he got his own rebound. Well, uh, first and then put he it back. posted Scotty and Scotty just like didn't angle it right, but there was no help there. Like whoever mm-hmm. was on help assignment, probably yeah, Pirtle wasn't yeah. there. And then Randall got his own rebound, posted up Pascal and Pascal, you know, I think because it was a broken play, angled him middle mm-hmm. instead of baseline when there was no help there and Randall just like yammed it on them. Um, so with the exception of that though, 
this was like good individual defense on Randall and just incredible shot making. I'm not saying that as an excuse for the whole mm-hmm. game because they played pretty poorly defensively on everyone else and especially transition. But man, you tip your cap to Julius Randall in that one. Yeah, he's uh I think this is kind of like similar to what you want a lot of your stars to do is to soak up all the bad shots in your offense. And then because of you're so good at taking bad shots and making them that it allows for, you know, opportunities for your teammates to get open. And so when you do kick the pass out, like he did the Grimes a couple of times, they get wide open shots. Now, I also think that Randall actively seeks out bad shots as well but like <laughs> it also has this deflating effect where it's like okay your best defenders are who scotty and og both guys had turns trying to guard randall and he's like i'm just gonna go through both of you guys i'm gonna bully ball you guys you don't see og get bully balled very often OG's typically the one you doing the bullying defensively um but what randall did to him yesterday what he did to scotty yesterday was just kind of it's got to be deflating because you're playing perfect defense and i give even darko credit because he changed up his defense Mm -hmm. uh first time the raptors played the knicks what the raptors did was they wanted to force randall to spin baseline and then consistently bring the help with the alcaprotal and essentially draw double teams and randall did a great job of picking the raptors apart in that coverage setting up guys like divincenzo who had seven threes in their first meeting this time around they're like okay we're instead going to send the double teams at Jalen Brunson. We are going to have Jakob show at the level of the three-point line, essentially wall him off so he can't get downhill. Um, we'll even blitz him occasionally and get even more aggressive. But what we're going to do is then if Jakob's going to double on, Rand- on, on Brunson, we're going to have to play Randall straight up. And that's what I wanted to see from the first meeting. And they also got killed in this matchup. Well, they also, the Knicks had like a little bit of a counter adjustment. And part of this was because you don't have Mitchell Robinson. And I mean, Jericho Sims was like precious levels of like, if the first DHO isn't there, like standing there unsure of what mm. to do with the ball. Like, I don't think he trusted himself to dribble really or make any plays. He, he fit in defensively, but like was a non-threat offensively. But something they did in the second half was noticing what you're saying, even with Randall going against that, they started having Randall screen, and the Raptors aren't going to switch that. They're going to have Schroeder fought over against Brunson most of the night. Mm -hmm. Um, You're not going to want to switch that because Randall's such a bad mismatch against Schroeder. And then what that does, though, is if Randall pick and pops, even if you don't care that much about his three, that means when Brunson tries to drive on Schroeder to the middle, mm-hmm. OG, who is Randall's man, has to show at the nail to because he's the help assignment to mm-hmm. wall to make sure Brunson can't get paint. And then Brunson would quickly hit it to Randall. And as OG recovered, you know, Randall's at a speed disadvantage against OG, but he gets that first quick right off the catch, mm-hmm. gets the like small head start as OG's recovering back to him, and it puts OG behind the eight ball a little bit, trying to take away Randall's space, or at least you got to meet him a little lower in the paint than you would otherwise. So it was a a small counter adjustment for the Knicks, and like obviously it cramps your spacing because Jericho Sims is then just sitting in the dunker, but it was was smart to take, to put Randall into those actions because you got to send at least one and a half guys to Brunson and one and a half guys to Randall, and then on a high pick and roll where the floor is spaced with two corner shooters and a dunker spot guy, there's no third man to help in that action. Yeah. That's what happens when you have tactics and also a real clarity in how you want to run your offense. Yo, the the Knicks almost shot 60-60-60. <laughs> they really uh, they did almost. They shot, they shot almost uh, better on twos and threes than free throws. Yeah. They, they, they did a... Uh, 60.5% from the field, 58.6 from three. And then 15 of 23, 65% from free throw line. And that, I mean, obviously we can nitpick the defense. We can hat tip to Randall or whatever. 
even if the Raptors had done some other things better. And like we talked yesterday about how the Knicks lead the league in winning the possession battle. They're the number one rebounding team on both ends of the floor. They're a top 11 in turnover rate at both ends of the floor. Nobody gets more shooting possessions than the Knicks. The Raptors got 13 more shooting possessions than the Knicks yesterday. They beat them at their own game. They went 2022-2023 Raptors, 17 offensive rebounds, only turned the ball over 10 times, got way more shots, got to the free throw line more. They shot... 12 percentage points worse on field goals, uh, 22 percentage point worse on threes. Yeah. That's uh, you needed all 13 of those possessions and probably a couple more. This is the funny thing about the Raptors is like from their meeting against the Knicks like two weeks ago, they changed up a lot of what they did defensively. You know, they even had to start the game OG on Brunson for a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, and of course, they changed with the Randall coverages. And by the way, the Knicks are actually without. Compared to last game, they don't have Robinson. They don't have Emmanuel Quickly, who, you know, would obviously be the starting point guard on the Raptors if you weren't even available. McBride had a couple really nice minutes, especially in the second half there. Like the start of the fourth quarter was a lot of McBride. But, yeah, you're down two key rotation pieces, and you still look like maybe the deepest team in the league, down two guys. Right. And then you see the Raptors, they they play differently, as you mentioned. They change out their strategy. They, 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 They try a couple different things. First half, obviously, the issue was the Raptors couldn't shoot the three well. They were 5 of 22 from three. They were 7 of 14 from the foul line even. So just all sorts of shooting was off. But second half, they do hit the threes at a decent rate. When you look at the end of the day, you're like, well, the Raptors made 14 threes. They, yeah, they went 9 more. of 17 in the second half. Yeah, they, that was like, got them back into the game in the third quarters. They made six threes in the third. It just all doesn't matter. They and, gave up 70 points in the second half. And then when you look at the bigger, bigger picture in terms of season over season, they obviously tried the Knicks approach last year, like Nick Nurse's approach, not the Knicks approach with the with the K. Uh, and now they're under Darko, and it's the same roster. It's just the roster is the issue. The Raptors lose like again, we're, this, and we're we're back in the same spot again. And so. I think it was the I might be off by a game here, but I believe it's the sixth time in seven games that the starters have lost their minutes. Yeah. As a unit, Darko got asked about that again at practice today, by the way. I'm paraphrasing here, mm-hmm. but he said, yes, they're considering things and looking at things, but he wants to give it another game or two because, you know, those guys are committed to, to trying to fix the issue. It's not like Darko looking at the bench and seeing like a charcuterie board or something of options, man. Yeah, it's true. He doesn't have Emmanuel <laughs> quickly, Josh Hart, Isaiah Hartenstein. Yeah. He got Emmanuel slowly. Yeah. He wants auto Porter. <laughs> um, so. Yeah. Uh, by the way, Boucher and Porter both didn't practice today. Boucher left last night's game with a thigh contusion. So uh-huh. there's the full, those, those are your full practice updates as well as uh, Pascal talking about being a boxer and getting knocked down and you can't find, find your mouth guard. Well, is, is that what it is? Yeah, apparently. Yeah. Hey, at least um, Pascal, Scotty, and OG all scored 20-plus yesterday. <laughs> Put the banner up. Let's go. The Raptors lose. Does that, does that count for pizza, too? Three straight 20s? Even Schroeder got 22. Four guys in their yeah. 20s? Yeah. Uh, Damn. You you got a good Malachi game and still couldn't win. Man, I was seeing, seeing people freaking out. I think maybe a little bit on the broadcast, too, about how great Malachi was playing. And I'm like, he's playing a decent yeah, enough he had, game. Yeah, he had 10 points, four dimes, and, like, some this pretty is... even. He also had three turnovers, including, I think you tweeted about one. Like, there was the three-on-one fast break. But there was the pass to the nobody in the corner. Yeah. Um, the pass to nobody in the corner. Like, the I, 20, I do think that 24 Raptors. the bar is very low for Flynn. The but also literally like, on the floor, man. We're also coming off of, like, yeah. a stretch of games where Dennis Schroeder didn't play very well, much better offensively last night, but not a good night defensively for him. And when it's a night where Gary Trent Jr. is also pretty bad, you're stretching for like who, like they ended up closing with Precious, not Jakob, because they just need to try something other than that starting five. But it's what you're saying. There's not a, 
there's not a charcuterie board of options. There, there's a Lunchables. It's not even Lunchables. It's a charcuterie yeah. board. They only got the crackers too, man, and the Lunchables. There's no meat on that, man. They got a Kit Kat, maybe. Uh, uh. Yeah, honestly, the difference in the benches were, were, was huge. I, I, look, I think the starting unit definitely needs a guard better. I think, like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you think? <laughs> but at They're least also they were not scoring well. <laughs> they did yesterday because of the third quarter yeah. boost, and OG got really hot. But, like, on the season, they have one of the worst offensive ratings of any, like, super high usage unit. Yeah. They're just terrible on both ends of the floor. Yeah. It, I just if you add really it matter. They play better offensively. Their their defense gets worse. They play better defensively. Their offense gets worse. Yeah. They they try different strategies. Uh, they lose in a different way. Yeah. They tried this strategy. They lose in a different way. And they way. did all it's, those it's things in hilarious. one game last night. Yeah. Like first yeah, half, it's like, oh yeah, we'll win the possession battle. Oh, yeah. we yeah. can't shoot at all. Then it's like we'll get hot. Okay, the defense slid. Yeah. Yep. Like the transition game wasn't there again. The transition stuff's driving me nuts because, mm-hmm. like we've talked about, that the mm-hmm. half court stuff. You know, Julius Randle's going to hit some tough shots against you. Good offense, whatever. But the fact that you've had this huge slide in transition defense, and like the Knicks who do not care to run. Quickly pushes the pace. Everyone else is like, I will glacially glide up the court and get into our sets. And they scored 1.7 points per transition opportunity yesterday. Josh Hart had so many push the break, finish, or kick out. And and offensive rebounds. He was was just like a a pure, like Raptors inattention merchant. Yeah. And, you know, when, when we started the season with Patrick Beverly randomly saying Raptors got no dogs. Yeah, it does linger in your mind because, like, some games I'm like, okay, you know, who was going to be that energy, that difference maker who was going to lift them up? You know, again, previous years you would think back to Kyle Lowry would literally always be that kind of guy. Especially mm-hmm. it's like, okay, game in mid-December, it's like, okay, you probably need a little pick-me-up. Who's going to provide that, like, jolt of energy? And Josh Hart came in the game and did that. He almost had a triple-double on the Raptors, yeah, which is absurd. Like, he doesn't even have the ball very much for a triple-double. But you got to credit to him because he made all those plays. And it's like, yeah, when you think back to the no-dogs kind of comment, it's like, yeah, the Knicks had dogs and the Raptors really didn't. And, and like, that's not the whole thing. I, the Knicks also shot really well from three once again. And I'm sure that, you know, the next game they go into, they probably won't hit 60% from three, but they probably also won't play against a defense that played as, like, gingerly and as soft as the Raptors. <laughs> there were two times where Julius Randle stuck on a pivot, like, literally picked the ball up and everything. He's just pivoting. Two times he split a double team because Jakob came too, like, lightly with the double team. Like, you're seven foot. You're just, like, 250 pounds. Once seven you've foot. picked up your dribble and you don't have an eye line to the basket and there's an extra yeah. body there, you should not be able to peek out enough to find a kick-out pass. That's By the way, they play Utah next, so they might actually have a defense as soft as the Raptors in their next game, uh, but not for very long. The other thing, like, you talk about this yeah. this kind of wraps the bench and the shooting stuff mm-hmm. all into one. Like, last time the Raptors played the Knicks, Dante DiVincenzo hit seven threes off the bench. Today he starts, or yesterday he yeah. starts. I didn't he, even notice him yesterday. He had yeah. five assists, but, like, like, he, yeah. he only hit one three. And then it's like, oh, Quentin Grimes, the guy who he just jumped in the starting lineup, he's going to bank five yeah. threes on you. Uh, so, yeah, I guess you're welcome to the Knicks from the Raptors for letting Quentin Grimes find it and get it going a little bit here the last couple of games. Yeah, how many uh, how many Knicks bench players would you take before you take one Raptors bench player? Uh, like, like, if you line up all the bench players from both seven teams. seven without even looking. Yeah. At least four. Okay, so Josh Hart, absolutely. Josh Hart, absolutely. Hardenstein uh, would absolutely. start. Yeah, he would yeah. start. Quentin Grimes. Grimes, I would take. Yeah, McBride. McBride. Normally, they have quickly. Normally, they have quickly. quickly. Well, obviously, so that's four I'll automatically. I'll take McBride, too. You take McBride over anybody on the Raptors bench? <laughs> yeah, sure. At this point, yeah. <laughs> I don't know that I've seen enough. I would think... You, you know what? You take Evan Fournier over. I, has he played this year? No, he hasn't. But Evan quality Fo- player-wise. The only Evan Fournier problem is just his contract, I feel like. Yeah. Well, you also can't Google his name. Yeah, that too. You guys... He's only 31. 
No. He's a new he's auto porter. He's their auto? He's auto porter junior. Also, a weird thing that comes up every time the, yeah. the Raptors play the Knicks is like Julius Randle being a little bit younger than Pascal always just like <laughs> right. disrupts oh, yeah. me. Um, yeah, people forget Julius Randle started his career and immediately broke his leg. I think that's what kind of like. First game, right? Yeah, it was like set his career. Oh, back. yeah, that yeah. was crazy. But guys, but he's able to persevere. Good the storylines to keep an eye on here. So the Pistons lost their 20th straight game yesterday. Okay. And yeah. the NBA record for longest losing streak is 28. Okay. Who set the record? I believe the last time was the Sixers. Process Sixers. Process Sixers? So right. here's the next eight games for the Pistons to tie the record. Philly, Philly. Lost, lost. Milwaukee. Lost. Atlanta. Lost. Utah. Lost. Brooklyn. Lost. Brooklyn. Lost. Boston. Lost. So if they lose all those, they'll tie at 28. Okay. And you know who they'll be, who they'll be playing to break the record? No. The Toronto Raptors. No. no. <laughs> In Detroit, no. December 30th. I'm going to be so nervous, man. If it is for the streak, Yo. can we charter a bus and go? Yes. Okay. Uh, okay. Also, I'm contesting that that's the record. That is was, it a different it one? It was split over two seasons. I don't think oh, that counts. Oh, is that what they're doing? Oh. Okay. Yeah, sorry. Uh, the, I, I literally just did a basic Single season is 26, which the Process Sixers also did. <laughs> uh, so did the uh, LeBron just went to the Heat uh, Cleveland Cavaliers. But for the record, oh, if, if they get to okay. 28, that's what they're going to like talk about. Oh, like, yeah. It's the longest streak across two seasons. Yeah. Uh, and the Raptors. No, they're going to earn this. Yeah. I'm just. <laughs> and we should go to Detroit. I really do want to go for wow. this. Wow. Yeah. What yeah. would you do if uh, the Raptors the Toronto fall to the Pistons? The Toronto Raptors are going to get more Crim's Chump of the Week on, uh, <laughs> what on they, Detroit Cable what News. They, I'm going to eat some Wingstop. That's what I'm going to do. Because the, the, the Pistons promotion is if the Pistons win flat, you get five free wings. Yes. So, yeah, like, uh, the, so no. the same promotion as Darko. People have been starving. And the, uh, the funniest thing is for the longest time, the, the last two weeks, the Pistons' uh, social media team on their graphic, on the final score graphic, yeah. They kept putting the wing stop right underneath the team's logo. So it looked like uh, the other team's logo. So it looked like wing stop was beating the Pistons every game. So I'm I finally, sure they could get five so yesterday they finally moved them. the logo to the bottom left corner. So uh -huh. people couldn't make jokes anymore. At, at a certain point, because obviously you signed these sponsorship deals yeah. and it's like, you know, you don't anticipate them losing 20 games in a row. No. But at certain points you're like, all right, like, we're gonna have to change. So, at you a certain point, you gotta, wing stuff had to make you a gotta flip it and be like free wings if they lose, like just yeah. free wings if they lose. These, these but, are hilarious things. Like when, like you're saying, like where the the lines just change a little bit or the yeah. team is different. Like mm -hmm. remember the the championship year. Um, and Alex, I believe your mom really appreciated this. Raptors fans were getting something free every game because yes. they would hit 12 threes yeah, the, every single fries, game. Yeah. Um, and then I remember the Jays used to give away pizza if, if they recorded seven strikeouts in a game. But the strikeout environment in seven baseball over the last couple oh, years has changed. exploded. Every team strikes out seven times every game now. Yeah. Bob yeah. comes out the bat like at least five times a game. You know the thing? This will never happen, but I would love to interview the Detroit Pistons social media person. Oh, yeah. Because like the, every game, they're just like, oh, Isaiah. Isaiah Stewart with the hustle play, and then final one thirty-seven to ninety. Wingstop. Like, I mean, if you wanted to interview the closest thing to that, you yeah. could talk to the Raptors nine hundred five social person. Yeah, who's yeah, probably yeah. having a no. I want to sit. I want to sit down with the Pistons and the Wizards yeah. social yeah. media person, and just like have a real talk. Like, how, way, you, how you doing? Pistons, right? Wizards, Spurs. Yes. Yeah. Two yeah. and forty-nine combined since November second. Yeah. And, they're and not one of those wins Once is against, against each, each other. other. Yeah. yeah. And they're not, that's the thing. They're not tanking this early in the season. Obviously, yeah. they didn't intend to be like competitive and good teams, but like 
they're not intentionally ta- they're just actively losing all of these games. Yeah, yeah. We're trying and we're losing. Yeah. yeah. That's what um, you're saying. I have one last Raptors like note Raptors, before we break cuz yeah, we got course. we got coach David Thorpe on the yeah. other side. Um since November 15th. So we're looking at about a month worth now. The Raptors are 24th in defense. Yeah, checks out. Like this isn't they've slid from a top yeah. five defense to an to a top ten or mm-hmm. an average defense. They have been downright a bad defense over the last month. Now it's uh the Raptors are a, pretty concerning. The Raptors are like a bottom five NBA team right now. The defense side just doesn't make sense to me. Like yeah. they have yeah. the personnel. They did it at the start of the season. Mm-hmm. Don't really it, understand how it slides okay. to twenty fourth over a thirteen game chunk. Okay, here's 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 me as the coach of this of this uh, show, knowing how to put the talent in the right positions. Blake, I'm going to ask you how much of this is tactically, and then, Alex, I'm going to ask you afterwards how much of this is them just checking out. Yeah, I mean, Thanks, coach. not a ton of it is, <laughs> okay. is tactically, unless we're, unless we're accusing, like, it, poor execution to uh-huh. tactics. Like, I don't think they're really doing that much that I, like, have huge issue with game to game. And like you said, last night they threw a bunch of different stuff at the Knicks, and it just, like, none of it didn't work. I don't think getting back in transition and picking someone up is or like filling to the pain. If you're the second guy picking up the trail shooter, if, if you're a late man back, like, I don't think that stuff is tactics. I think that's attention and energy and focus. So do you see attention, energy and focus when you see the Raptors defend? I don't think they're checking out. They're just not good enough. What like, like they're not checking out. Getting back on in transition is not like good. Yeah, or bad I get enough. it, man. Some of that you like, can they blame have the on. speed to do it. Some of that you can blame on the effort, but I just, they're just not good enough. I just, if, you, if you strip out, like, the teams that we just talked about, like, mm-hmm. okay, Detroit, Washington, put the Spurs in there, probably, like, what, the Raptors, Portland? So give, the Raptors' three marquee wins on the season. Give, give Big the, comebacks the, against Washington like, and San Antonio. If you, think about, and, if you think about all the teams that aren't trying to win right now, right? Yeah. The Raptors are the worst team that's trying to win right now. Yeah. Like, it's them and Chicago, I think. Yeah, you know, Chicago's only a half game behind the Raptors. Right? Yeah, I'm, I'm aware. And they, they, like, they took Milwaukee to overtime. So yesterday. the Raptors are technically the worst team the worst team that is actually trying to yeah. do something. And, and I told you guys this last last week when we did Triple N. Like, if you look, I mean, at this point, I was citing, like, a, an analytic metric that adjusts for strength of schedule and stuff. But it's actually done this just in terms of score margin now, like how much you're getting outscored. There are 21 teams mm-hmm. that are average-ish to can be title contenders. And the Hawks are a bit weird there because they're four games under 500, but they've basically played even. They've been a little unlucky. But there are 21 teams like that. There are eight teams at the bottom Mm -hmm. who are obviously very, very bad. Now, that includes a Bulls team that had won four in a row until last night. So maybe they upgrade. But then the Raptors are in a tier of their own sitting Mm -hmm. at 22nd. Nice. 21 teams that are real, seven teams that are not real, and then the Raptors and the Bulls. We can put them in a co-tier maybe. Um, It is... A weird spot to be in. Yeah, and this is not to say the Raptors can't compete with these teams. Like the Raptors were in a two possession game with the Knicks at the end, but the Knicks were they also beat the in control the last whole week. Way. Two possessions. Yeah, that's right. That's what they're we're always two about. possessions from being two pe- possessions away. Uh, that's yeah. the whole squad. That is the whole squad, man. Anyway, so we got David Thorpe. We also have uh, some lawsuit stuff, but we will discuss that later on in segment three. But we're going to take this break. I've been your host, Willu. You've been listening to the Raptors Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Big opinions and in-depth conversations covering the Leafs, Jays, Raptors, and the NFL. The J.D. Bunkins Podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the Raptor Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. I'm your host, Wim Lou. Uh, we're working to get 
Coach David Thorpe of True Hoop on the line, and David is there. Uh, Coach, how you doing, man? I'm good. How are you? Uh, I'm, I'm okay. Personally, I'm okay. Obviously, the Raptors uh, have not been uh, so flattering these uh, last couple of games. They're on a four-game losing streak. They lost six or seven. Uh, and I think one of the things that's been really concerning is just that, uh, you know, the starting lineup has been trending downward um, almost collectively, it feels like. So, Coach, I want to start with you there because there was already a discussion today with Coach Darko at practice about the idea of will you change the starting lineup? And his answer was he kind of wants to give it another game or two. Now, I don't know what he's going to see another game or two, but I'd love to hear your thoughts on the Raptors starting group. I mean, to defend Darko is to suggest that uh, most coaches are loath for change. He's no different than most other guys. So I understand that part. The the answer isn't so smart. A game or two when you're 20 games in, that makes no sense at all. But, um, yeah, they don't like to change things much. Having watched that team play some, including – I think I watched the whole game last night – I definitely think there should be a change. And uh, if they were winning games, I still think they should be a change. I think there's a better formula than what they're using. But in in light of what's happening there, it makes no sense to me. But but listen, the elements in the room, Will, and you may know this, is your head coach is in love with your point guard. So if you think Dennis Schroeder is your answer, but then keep starting him and make some other changes. But the rest of the free world doesn't think he's the answer. He has never been the answer. He is a nice off-the-bench guy, in my opinion. He's a very good, very talented player that I don't think 29 other teams would want starting and running their show. And I'm not blaming him, by the way. He ain't the only problem on the team. But but that it begins and ends with the fact that you have a very, very close relationship between a, an enigmatic, challenging guard that's always driven teams crazy and a head coach in his first year who trusts one guy, and that's him. That's how I see it anyway. Yeah, I was going to ask you this later on, but maybe we'll just get to it now. If you're a new coach coming into uh, an existing team like Darko is, if you also are a new head coach in the sense that you haven't coached in the NBA as a head coach, you've been obviously a longtime assistant. Right. um, Because I know you also advise coaches around the league. Like, what would you have advised him to do coming into this scenario? Because it's obviously quite challenging, especially when you also consider the fact that a lot of the change this season was supposed to come just on the coaching front. Well, I know I would have started by saying in your media day press conference, don't attack the best player on your team. That is never a good starting place. Yeah. Okay. And I don't remember anymore exactly what he said, but I know, I remember, I'm not sure I ever really knew exactly what he said, but I know how people reacted in mm-hmm. my world of they're calling Pascal Siakam selfish. I don't know what Darko said, actually. I'm sure I once did. I just don't remember. It was it was back in what, October, early, late September. That doesn't make any sense. I don't think anyone thinks he, he, he's struggling to shoot the ball, but no one ever thinks Pascal is selfish or has played selfishly. So I thought that was a very odd place to begin. And quite frankly, I think you – I often say how you start is, is how you finish. Well, you started off on the wrong foot, buddy, and it hasn't gotten any better. Uh, Siakam has found a way to, to really make an impact – and it, depending on the metrics you use, has become kind of the player that you expected him to be, despite the offense changing and everything else. I don't think the rest of the team can say that, although Scotty certainly had a great start uh, and has been scintillating sometimes since he's not been as good overall, which is, is to be expected. Teams are going to adjust what they're doing based on their, their film and everything. Uh, so, But I, I definitely would say to him, you can't rely on Dennis Schroeder 
as if he's Chris Paul or Fred Van Vliet. He just isn't that guy. Um, and, and he's more talented than Fred, to be honest with you. He's, I mean, I was really taken with him when he was at OKC. And remember, I remember writing once uh, for True Hoop, actually, so it wasn't that long ago, mm-hmm. when they were in the bubble, that he was going to be the difference. And I don't remember if they were playing Houston or who they were playing. It was a seven-game series. OKC lost in game seven. And I thought Dennis was going to be the reason why they won the series mm. because I didn't think anyone could guard him. And he kind of figured out over the course of the seven games that, you know what, no one really can guard me. But he's not a decision maker. He's not a, he's not a reliable character to, to run a team. Uh, there's a lot of guys that I feel like uh, are better off just ask them to score. I say this about Zach Levine, who's a very talented player and someone I'm fond of as, a, as an analyst and a fan of how much he loves the game. But I just don't think he can be your quarterback. And, and get consistency. Not a surprise that the Bulls are playing their best basketball with him being out, even though he is one of their better players. I think trusting Dennis to be the, the, the face of your offense, that's not to say he's their best player or their franchise player, but he's kind of the guy that runs the team, and I think that's silly. No one in the league thinks that about him, and yet Toronto is where he is because they made the decision to let him be that guy. Yeah, I, I think – you are seeing at the start of the year, Dennis was actually more involved, like even touches per game, things like that. He was like top 10 in the league pretty consistently in how much he got the ball per game. It's come back down now where he's sort of closer to 20th, even trending towards the 30th range in the league. But that's because his minutes have also come down uh, in addition to other adjustments being made. I think what's interesting to watch right now is that a lot of other teams are just going under so often and I think he started the season well he continued the hot shooting from the World Cup but now that you're seeing a lot of teams go under on Dennis and him not really being able to punish that kind of coverage you're seeing the whole starting group really crater offensively and I I guess I'm curious to hear your perspective because you cover the whole league um how many other teams in the in, in the NBA have this similar problem where their starting point guard is somebody that teams go under on on a consistent basis well, I, I'm going to push back on this one thing. Okay. Uh, not many, by the way. Not many. But but uh, I'm going to push back on the idea that that is the bigger problem. To me, the problem is uh, your your quarterback is your lead decision maker when the ball is in his hands a ton. And so what most, what most players do is they recognize, I'm going to get the ball, and it could be me that's doing it, to uh, to the, to a player in best position to either score or draw enough because of gravity, draw enough help to make easy plays out over and over and over again, relentlessly. So, you you'll if you look back in the history, and I know you know the the game uh, from Chris Paul to LeBron James, both of them have I think often been too unselfish that way in that. They're trying to get other guys involved, mm-hmm. and yet their teams weren't good enough to be able to go through stretches where they just weren't scoring very much because they were getting the ball to other people, and now they've got to make these heroic comebacks. And LeBron was even guilty of that in the playoffs when they won a couple years ago. He finally stopped doing it. In fact, I wrote an article, and, and I bet he saw it uh, because we have a lot of mutual friends, and I'm sure I was the only one saying, LeBron, you can't wait till halftime mm-hmm. to decide to impose your will full time. And so, I, 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 Dennis, to me, Scotty will be rolling, or Siak will be rolling, or even sometimes OG is rolling. Mm-hmm. And Dennis, after three or four possessions, and those guys are still being guarded by the same people. Yep. 
we'll make sure someone else gets the ball because everyone else has to eat. No, this is a monarchy. It's not a democracy. Mm. You got to feed the king, feed the king, feed the king. And when the king is is gorged because there's so much help coming, everyone's far more open. Mm-hmm. Then you just making sure everyone feels like they got to touch the ball. Uh, if any, he's thinking that. I've, I've been told by people that he's not even thinking that far. He's just not thinking at all. I don't know the answer to either one of those things. I just know I'll go through stretches watching the Raptors play where compared to some of the other teams I follow all the time, which are most of the good teams in the league, if not all of them, they don't go very long without making their best offensive player having the ball at a good part on the floor or in a place where you can get to a good spot on the floor and then things open up. And just watching, I mean, Scotty and Pascal both are not easy to guard one-on-one depending on where they are on the court. They're mm-hmm. much easier in some areas than others. And both are super willing passers, 167, 169. Plus, they're, they're, they get people open all the time. It may look a little weird and clunky, but the bottom line is the ball is being moved to an open guy, and then you play. Seth Greenberg, the, the ESPN announcer, used to be a coach, he used to say, um, you, you, you create the first double team, and then the game really starts. Yeah. You know, uh, uh, Steve Kerr says you got to get the first domino to fall. Same idea. Mm-hmm. Siakam and Barnes are the best at that, and you go through stretches in games where they just don't literally touch the ball. It was worse early in the season with Siakam was getting it very little, and you can look at the numbers for that early yeah, November or whatever. And then that was December. That was Schroeder's time. That's changed for the, for the betterment of the team. But I just don't think Dennis thinks that way. And again, Lou Williams is a great player. He was not someone you would ask to quarterback your team. Jamal Crawford, great player. Not someone you would ask to quarterback your team. The Raptors have a quarterback that I don't think thinks the game that way and are, and, and are running an offense where the point guard is super important, that primary ball handler, uh, to make sure the ball is delivered to where it needs to go. And I think that's where it starts offensively with their flaws. Mm. Okay. That's interesting. I never, I didn't think about it in those terms, but I do agree with you because, you know, you looked at, for example, the Knicks that they played against yesterday. Knicks have a very good clarity in terms of what they want to do on offense. Very much so. They're going to give it to Randall, or they're going to run a pick and roll with Brunson. They'll see what the defense does. Do they switch? Do they give up a mismatch? And then they'll just attack. And then everyone else is just waiting and cutting and figuring out a way to get themselves open or crashing the glass. It's very, very clear. It's not the most complicated. It's almost so simple. But you compare that to the Raptors where it's like, Raptors will run more intricate things than the Knicks. They ran more intricate things than the Knicks yesterday. But A, because of a lack of shooting, but also B, because when you're sharing the ball like that, you're also saying that your best player or whoever creates the best advantages don't get less. the ball as much. Yeah. So it's just a it's just a function of the off. The other thing with the starting group, and I'm, I'm curious to hear your thoughts, is on Jakob Pertl. Yeah. feels like he's in the way a lot of the time. Now, I get the non-shooting component. I even get the fact that he doesn't really jump and he doesn't really have the ability to finish through contact. There should have been multiple and ones he finished yesterday. Uh, but how do you see his fit with the starting group? Because we see often Darko takes him out late in the games, including yesterday. I'm a big fan of Jakob Pertl and spent the morning on a trade machine. He can't be traded to January 15, but for Troop, I'm writing an article about I think that I don't do this a lot, but mm-hmm. um, my my Henry Abbott, the founder, wanted me to write about well, who can make a deal now to get themselves in position to win in May and June, uh, because it's kind of musical chairs. Someone's gonna be left out of the arms race of you know adding assets to yeah. your team. And Toronto is a team with Pascal and OG and Gary and Jakob. You know everyone but Scotty really. I don't think Dennis is gonna have much of a trade value. Um, 
they can get a lot of teams really, really rich. And it's not easy because you need to have, in order for Jakob to be the five that I think he can be at his best, you need to have a really sweet shooting four. And that's not what Siakam is right now. Siakam, as some people have written, he's the best post player in the league. He's amongst the best post players, because, especially because he doesn't have to be in the post to score down there. Mm. He's got that versatility to start in the perimeter. And so I, I always say uh, he can take your big guy out from the perimeter and attack him, and he can bully ball your, your big wings and your guards. Not a lot of guys can do that. And those are and those that can are all-stars. Um, but if you watch this, the Raptors play frequently, the moment Siakam has the ball, and this is the same the case for Scotty, if he gets it inside 18, 16 feet, there is Pirtle's man sitting under the rim. Mm-hmm. He'll pop out for a moment, and he comes right back in all the time. And so I think that's a bad combination. So uh, uh, that's – and, I again, I'm, I'm a Pirtle fan. The team played much better last year when they got him. I think, as you know, they played like a playoff team yeah. once they had him. But this iteration with, with Dennis at one instead of Fred, with the way Gary's playing um, currently, I don't think anything's permanent. Things can go up and down, mm-hmm. uh, or they can continue to trend up. They continue to trend down, all these options. Um, this iteration is bad. That, that, that spacing is only made worse with a, a four that can't shoot, a five that doesn't try to shoot, and a one that is not a great shooter. And I would say, in Siakam's case, at least you can let him play in the corner some where he's starting to make He's starting to shoot a little bit better. He's not shooting much elsewhere. Um, you can't do that portal at all. He's just not a threat. He's not yeah, going to shoot the yeah. ball. So you you gotta you gotta find a really really sweet shooting four if you best want to take advantage of Jakob at the five. Okay, so it would be kind of nice for him if you could play him alongside of Chet because I don't think Chet should be the full time five all the time. Matchup wise, I think you can do it. Portal- you think Pirtle next to Chet? Yeah, in OKC, I like that kind of fit and that kind of idea. Yeah, I like I like I like Siakam there better. Okay, I'm sure they will. I'm sure they do too. Sure they do, yeah. coach. That yeah. that will be. A, uh, it's already a, such a difficult team to stop. You add in a consistent yeah. uh, post score. I mean, yeah. Wow. Well, we'll see. Uh, we'll we'll see if there's a if, if there's a potential move to be made there. In the meantime, obviously, Scotty and Pascal are also on the team. I think yeah. honestly, you look at both of them. They made improvements over last season in certain areas. For Scotty, I think it's in more areas. I think he's more engaged consistently. He's shooting the ball much better. He's so active and wanting to shoot the ball now too. Any opponent going under on him, he will just say, forget what the offense is saying. If you go under on me, I'm just going to like take the three, and it's exactly the right basketball play. He's looking for it more aggressively. Yesterday he had eight threes attempted. He made three. Like They didn't have any games like that from him last year outside of like one or two rarities. That's on a consistent more basis. And I think for Pascal too, it's like obviously the three-point shooting isn't really there, but you go back the last 16 games, Pascal's shooting 62% on two-point shots, and these are mostly yeah. self-generated looks. So what are you seeing that's improving from both of those guys offensively this season? Well, I'm gonna, I'll reinforce what you said, but first I will say this. If, if you asked me before about Darko, uh, to me, everything should begin with how do we get those guys the ball more and better spots together? Yeah. They, they, they can be an incredibly dynamic and unique duo. Right, Tatum and Brown have their own thing going on. They're they're incredible. Kawhi and PG, incredible. Siakam and Barnes are, are as as a twosome are better passers than those other duos. Those, okay. those other duos are good passers. Yeah, yeah. Barnes and Siakam are really gifted passers and willing, very willing passers. So I'd like to see a lot more of both of them getting in the middle of the court 
and then playing high-low with each other. They don't do that very much, again, because of Pirtle's presence. That's really a problem. So get Pirtle out pretty quickly, yeah. and, and, uh, and, and you can play a little differently. Um, I think the biggest thing with Scotty is what we saw a little bit as a rookie. He's just better at it now. It's just pure assertiveness and aggressiveness. Uh, uh, Scotty is a very competitive guy. Remember, mm-hmm. I loved him coming out of college the one year I watched him. And um, really got to know his game well just from afar. It was COVID, so I could never, I didn't go to a single game right. that, that year. My son was just a freshman. Um, he just He's asserting himself like never before. He More than then when he was a rookie, and he's better at it. He's just mm-hmm. much better at it. And, and Darko has the ball in his hands more. Uh, the team has the ball in his hands more. So that's a good thing. Uh, very happy with him defensively also. Oh, yeah. I think Scotty has really challenged himself defensively. Uh, the metrics are weird. Some some metrics have Scotty being incredible. Some have him being pretty bad. We're we actually on my show. We're going to have a couple of data analysts come on, pretty pretty well known guys, to explain what the hell's going on. Okay. How does how is cleaning the glass have Scotty rated so low, and Taylor Starr, Dustin Threes have him rated so highly? I don't understand why he, he's the same player, the same data. Yeah. But um, I, I think he projects exactly what I thought when he came out. He's going to be a multiple time All Star, many many times over. And if he continues to shoot like this, and that's an important thing because not everyone uh, finishes as well as they start even over the course of eight weeks or so. It happens where you kind of lose it and you don't get it back. But let's assume that he keeps it up. I think he's got a, he's got all NBA in his future. It won't be this year, I don't think. The team isn't good enough anyway. In Siakam's case, he it, listen, when you when you start day one, and when you and I have talked about this off air, on day one, your coach is calling you selfish and your team doesn't give you an extension despite the kind of season. You know, last year the team was terrible, and Pascal the same year as he did the year before, mm-hmm. metrically speaking, when he was all NBA. And so he started off badly, and that wasn't a good start. And yet, he's like you said, he's found a way to to continue to impact games, score twenty plus a night on most nights. I think his take. I think he's playing the best defense since he's played in maybe six seasons, and can get better in my opinion. Um. Uh, and yet wants to wants to fit in. He's all he's because he isn't shooting the three at all well. Um, he's even more uh, looking to pass quickly, and it has a lot of gravity. And he's got a great brain. So Pascal finds himself all the time in great positions. I noticed this last night, and he's got a little Draymond Green in him now, where he he's literally playing to create for others, and and on a better team of shooters, I think he'd be even more uh, capable of finding holes for himself. He's scoring what you just said is incredible. 60% and almost nothing is easy. Yeah. They, they don't run any special high lows for him anymore. Yeah. Where he can get a little, take advantage of his score at the rim. The run out lay, layups that with Kyle Lowry, those are gone too. Like it's just, he's those creating 60% shots all the time. Right. But early in the season though, he was getting uh, early trans early offense, post-ups seal scores. Well, as long as Dennis, Dennis doesn't let him throw that like Scotty does. Scotty will throw it more. Uh, so that they need to find more of that. But mm. I still think the two of them together, which is why I think Masai first envisioned this whole thing, those two guys plus OG would be a a very unique and I think successful trio. Uh, the Pearl sign, which I, I understood, Pascal was shooting it better last year. Uh, that has not worked out great so far. And then the Dennis thing, I, I went into the season. I'm sure I probably did this show. Mm-hmm. I don't think y'all have a point guard. I still say that. I don't yeah. think Dennis is that quarterback that you need. So I, I'd hate for him to break things up, being, him being Masai, but without getting a real point guard there to see what they could do with a true pick-and-roll re- leader, a surgical guy. But um, 
Nevertheless, with Dennis there, I think that some changes should be made. Yeah. All right, Coach, we've run out of time. Appreciate you always for joining the show, making time. And if uh, people haven't listened or subscribed to True Hoop, they should do it because they get your insight. And, you know, honestly, I appreciate that you're more blunt than most people too, you know, because you've been around this thing a long time. You work a lot of players and coaches and, you know, agents and uh, teams call you all the time. And you know what? To be able to just tell it as it is, I think it actually is uh, very helpful sometimes. So appreciate you, Coach. I appreciate it as well. Have a good day. All right. That was Coach David Thorpe calling in from Florida. Um, and I, I look, I, I think that it's good to get an outsider's perspective on the Raptors too because we get in every day. Honestly, it's so funny that we're repeating ourselves all the time because you end up getting into positions where you're like, I don't want to just like come in every day to kill them. Is there a different angle or perspective? It's good to get the outsider's perspective because they don't have that kind of an investment that we do in this team every single day. And you could look at it much more clearly. And I agree. Like, I, it's not the greatest fit. If you were to envision two guys at center and at point guard to surround Pascal, OG, and Scotty and their skill set, you would not be picking the two that they have picked. And so how they get out of that is going to be the question. But uh, you know what? That's why the front office is one of the best paid in the entire league to solve a problem like that. So we're going to take another break. I've been your host, Willie. You've been listening to the Raptors show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Breaking down the top stories in hockey and Elliot Friedman every day. The Jeff Merrick Show. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the Raptors show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. I'm your host, Wayne Lou. Joining me for segment three are my co-hosts, Alex Wong, Blake Murphy. Blake, what, what you got for me? Okay, so Coach David Thorpe in that segment, great segment between you guys. Uh, oh, he lit it up, man. I didn't do anything. I was just here. I was just here. I was a bystander, just to be clear. You were doing what a point guard's supposed to do. <laughs> yeah, uh, dish the, man who's dish hot, the yeah. rock and get off ball, space yeah. out, relocate. Um, no, but one thing that that coach said in there that they're doing on a future episode is taking a look at why some places rate Scotty as a as a really good defender this year, yeah. why some places don't. I can explain that pretty quickly. Okay, so a site like Cleaning the Glass is looking at it's purely descriptive. It's telling you what has happened, and it dings Scotty because it doesn't control for the fact that Scotty is playing in those four man bench units a lot. So all cleaning the glass looks at is, hey, when Scotty was off the floor, the Raptors with, you know, four starters or Pascal, OG, and a couple bench pieces did this, this, and this. Mm -hmm. And then when it was Scotty back on the floor, regardless of who he's with, this, this, and this happened. So if you, if that's all you do, if you look at, you know, net rating only, well, Pascal's, you know, playing a different share of minutes with different line mates. Scotty is, is playing the, the lesser end of that and the tougher end of that. Cleaning the glass only cares about describing what's happened. Now, what a site like Dunks and Threes, and I've referenced EPM on here before, estimated plus minus, the math gets really messy, but they're taking not only play-by-play -play data and box score data, but they are looking at all those lineups and regressing it against years and years of lineup data so it can look at, hey, if Scott, Scotty's doing this and this happened when Scotty's on the floor – but what happened when Scotty was on the floor and Malachi Flynn was on the floor with other people or Precious Achoo was on the floor with other people? And they use something called a ridge regression to try to balance out the fact that, you know, some guys are going to drive your lineup one way, some guys are going to drive them the other. So when you filter all of that out and you have this box score component where Scotty is obviously among the league leaders in blocks plus steals this year, 
then when you're controlling for who you're playing with and what situations you're in, um, then Scotty comes out looking really good, which I think backs up what we've been seeing. We've talked a bunch about how the Scotty and bench lineups aren't really, I mean, certainly aren't productive, but are also aren't putting guys in, in the best situations to succeed. Um, so yeah, that's the answer as to why some metrics will look at Scotty and be like, he's been awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, some will look at him and be like, well, things have gone poorly when he's on the floor relative to other lineups. Interesting. Interesting. Uh, this is why I tend to trust EPM more that makes sense, you know, over a large enough sample. You don't want to look at things too noisy early in the season, but something that regresses against prior year's data, something that regresses and tries to account for the quality of teammate you're playing with, you know, did an opponent get hot, things like that. Mm. Um, you get a little more context in there. They're certainly not be-all, end-alls. You would not look at it and be like, well, Scotty Barnes is 13th in EPM, so he's the 13th best player in basketball. I think it has him as like a 99th percentile defender right now. Yeah, he's 13th yeah. overall in EPM, and he's the Raptors' best player on, on both yeah. ends in terms of impact. Him and OG keep trading first and second in defensive impact on the Raptors. Um, but either way, something like that would certainly you know, be more accurate if you were going to pull some numbers to make those cases than you know, just looking at net rating or, or on-off-court stuff gotcha. um, because you need that context. Well, that's that's good to know. It's good to know. Have me on, Coach Thorpe. The Raptors. Down for us. Yeah, sorry, that's hard to pivot out of, but... Um, it's, it's all good. It's all good. This is what yeah. we pay Alex Wong the big bucks for. Alex, what you got for us <laughs> while I pour coffee? Big head coffee, by the way. My salary's all Justin deferred. Justin once again. Uh, you know, Blake was referencing Pascal talking about a mouthpiece and boxing match, so just pulled the full quote via friend of the program, Eric Kareem. Pascal today said, quote, it's hard, it's hard. The way I look at it, that's been in my life period. It's never been easy. Hey, you got to fight. There's going to be times where it's hard out there and you feel like you're getting knocked down every time you go out there. It feels like a boxing match where you get knocked down and everything. You can't see nothing. You're looking for your mouthpiece, trying to find anything on the floor, and the ref is counting, blood coming out of your mouth, and the thing about it is it's going to happen more than once. Yo. So, yeah, wow. there we go. Somebody got a right. Wait, I don't know how much Holyfield's ears. I don't know how much like, guys. Boxing Pascal. more wins party. Yeah. yeah. I don't know how much boxing Pascal watches, but if that happens to you more than <laughs> once in a fight, yeah, yeah. the ref's probably going to stop it. Like he might be watching. Like you might get the standing 10 count, but uh yeah, you if if the ref sees you lose your mouth guard and reach around unable to see because of blood in your eyes two or three times in a fight, and it's getting called. It's it's good that he that's how he feels at least metaphorically in the game, because that's how it feels like physically for me to watch the game. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> so, you know, I, I see you. I feel, You know what? This question that you raised, Alex, along these lines what is what do the Raptors do the next time they win a game? Because obviously they're not going to just lose all the rest of the games here. I wouldn't would be Raptors, that confident, but yeah. The Raptors have been handing out this post-game chain. Yeah, so is it weird after this, like, four-game losing streak? Yeah. They play Atlanta tomorrow. So they're going to be, like, 10 and 14 if they win, for example, yeah. the next game. I and believe. say tomorrow it's an uninspiring win. You know, they barely hold on. Okay. You yeah, know, the Hawks, they're up 12, but yeah, the, the Hawks, Hawks make, make a 10-point like Yeah, 10 run. Hawks uh, are, like, a bottom-five defense. So this is who, – yeah. who have the Raptors done oh, this buddy. against this year? Perfect. Washington, San Antonio, yeah. Detroit, the bottom defenses in the Yeah, league. Trey Young's, you know, game-winning three just barely rims out. The Raps mm-hmm. make a colossal air at the end, turn the ball over, but still win by one. Like what's the what's how's Darko running into the locker room with that chain? Like what's what's the energy? Yeah. Hey guys, where's the party? <laughs> where's the party, everyone? We're two more wins away from a pizza party. Y'all want pepperoni? You guys want cheese? You guys want square slices? 
Yo, how are we feeling, man? How are we feeling? That's literally Darko coming in that locker room. This is, man, I'm telling you. But this is a problem of like, oh, you know, so much of the conversations is around the vibe of the team and stuff. And like the mm. vibe is always predicated on the quality of your team That's and what, the you know wins what? and losses. We said this back in right. preseason, yes. right? They won every preseason game. And we talked to Darko about it on this show. Yeah. Was like, okay, the vibes are good right now and everyone's happy. But like, how do you make sure that you manage that the first four game losing streak or the first time someone gets pulled out of the starting lineup mm -hmm. or the first time someone's out of the rotation? Yeah. And like, it's still probably too early to know how, like, you know, it's 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 early enough for things to feel bad. Yeah. It's probably not early enough for like leaks and stuff to start coming out. Sure. It was January last year, I think, when that stuff started happening. Uh, even though we could plainly see it earlier than that, like we can this year. Um, Can't so yeah, wait now, for look, the leaks to the, come out. <laughs> the chain in general, like every a lot of teams around basketball, uh -huh. baseball, football, hockey, whatever, have you know championship belt, team chain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, we were the you get the drumstick for Nick player Durst of the game, it. whatever. Nick Nurse literally had the WWE yeah. belt for yeah. who for got the most deflections in practice. Yeah. But there's a danger in attaching the chain to wins. Yes. If you're not going to be winning a lot. When I think about championship belts, I remember the Detroit Pistons back in the day mm -hmm. used to roll around with a belt because they were the champions. Uh, I know Mike Malone gives out a chain, I think, for the best defensive player, right? Mm -hmm. It's because they're a perennial. They're, they're, they're the champions as well. Like, you, if you attach a lot of this stuff to just wins and losses and stuff and you're doing positive reinforcement, you know, you throw out this carrot all the time. How are you ever going to throw out the stick, man? Like, like what, are, what are they supposed to do now, now that they're 9-14? and 14? They're supposed to still hand out the chain? When they win once every like four games, it's weird. That's what I'm saying. It's gonna be bad awkward when they yeah. hand out this chain. I'm just telling. Well, you. we're still handing out the chains every Friday though. So That's we're different. taking tradition. Well, we're not way under 500 and losing six uh, of our I last like seven. We go, to we go, we go at least four and one every week. You know, Wednesday shows eh, sometimes three a little and two. Tough, yeah, you know? three and two all <laughs> give us. But. Wednesday sometimes is tough, but you know. <laughs> so you tell me we had 800 team though. That's pretty good. Yo, we're at 800 team. Man. That's pretty good. Who uh, were the Timberwolves apparently? <laughs> Anyways, so I'm gonna do a bunch yeah, of Rudy, Rudy Gobert over here with his French press. Gonna uh, do a. Wait, wait. Oh, I'm Kyle Anderson. Nihao. Um, <laughs> we're gonna do a bunch of random pivots. Uh, oh, yeah, you want to uh, pivot from your Team Canada jersey to another Team Canada <laughs> Shea jersey? Shea just Alexander mm. won the uh, Northern Star Award uh, yesterday, and then he celebrated by pulling up to the Thunder game in a Team Canada Wayne Gretzky jersey. Uh, Blake, you did predict this yesterday before we go on, went mm -hmm. on the program and found out you said Shea was going to win. Wh who are the other contenders? Do you? Know? Yeah, I mean, there were some. I, I saw some. And by votes. the way, this is the award for like best Canadian. Yeah, so this athlete. is the Canadian best athlete Canadian of the year. Athlete. You would have known it as the, the Lou Marsh Award before that name got changed a couple years back. Yeah. Um, so, you know, there's a bunch of Canadian sports media. I don't know exactly who has a vote. I know Doug and Doug Smith and Bruce Arthur mm. and Damian Cox are on the committee. I don't know who else is in there. Mm. Um, you know, I, I saw that there Lassar's were favorites. Sorry. Yeah, there were at least <laughs> oh, votes brother. for um, Connor McDavid, who has the same thing every year where he's the best hockey player in the world, but Edmonton doesn't do anything. Yeah. So he's actually never won one, even though he'll be like the best hockey player of is this Connor generation. Is Connor McDavid the Chris Paul hits a three to cut the Oilers lead? <laughs> To 43 of oh, his he's, generation. He's Shohei Otani, man. Yeah. Is he Otani? I mean, he's yeah. the best player. He's been the best player in the NHL for years. And he's and also got really talented teammates, but yeah. they, their teams don't win. Okay. Yeah. Okay. yeah. So um, McDavid was up the there. The team arm over Yeah. <laughs> there were, you know, there's some curling candidates that you could make a case for. Yeah. Um, there was one other one I saw someone making a case for, and I can't remember now. Oh, the golfer who did the putter toss at the Canadian Open, but I think that's more of one big moment than a good year. Yeah. I, I thought it was pretty clearly... 
Shay, when you looked at it, yeah. now we're heading into an Olympic year, like next year's an Olympic year. You can go so back to back. The Olympic years are way more interesting for this award because mm. you get a ton more. You know, I, I don't know that even the people voting on this, like, are they looking at the track and field 2023 championships in wherever? Ah. You know, who was the fit? Like, yeah. they probably do if Canada has a real chance or someone picks up Buzz. Yeah. But an Olympic year, these are way more open and much more interesting. And I think you're right. I do think Shea has the chance to repeat. And he said yesterday, basically, like, hey, I'm looking forward to making you guys proud again in 2024. Man, that was my favorite part of the summer was getting to watch, like waking up literally at 4.30 a.m. sometimes, but getting to watch that Canada team. Like it was so memorable watching that whole group, how they came together. I think the effects have carried over into the season. You look at what Dylan Brooks has done. For this season with mm. the Houston Rockets, like he's brought that same energy, that same swagger, but more importantly, that same three-point shot to a different program. And of course, Shea was just awesome. I, I can't stress this enough because it was obviously like this is way back in August now. But that game where they qualified for the Olympics, the men's for the first time since 2000, mm. where they beat Spain and they had to come back from being down uh, 10 at halftime. They climb all the way back. Then they fall all the way back down 10 because their second unit wasn't very good. Shea plays the entire fourth quarter, brings them all the way back, forces overtime, wins it in overtime. Like, the two-way production that he was able to provide. Actually, I don't know if they even got overtime. Maybe they just won a regulation. Regardless, Shea literally made every single play on both sides of the ball. And it was such an exhilarating feeling getting to root for him wholeheartedly because he's on Team Canada. And... Yeah, I'm just I'm really proud of him, but also at the same time, it's the he's going to be the best Canadian basketball player ever if he's not already there. And I know how much people value Steve Nash because of the two MVPs and how memorable that team was. Trust me, like that that version of Steve Nash and that Phoenix Suns team got me to watch basketball. So it's going to be very hard for anyone to unseat that. But as someone who has watched a lot of basketball, Shea is definitively a better player than Steve was, and he's just starting out right now. And he's going to be at this level for a very long time. And, and still improving. Like, like the yeah. defense has stepped up this year. Yep. He's shooting 55% from the mid-range this year. Mm -hmm. Like, it's, there's, he's got to be, you know, if we're, if we're excluding the guys like LeBron and Giannis who are just like physically, you can't play against them one-on-one. -on -one. Yep. They're just too strong. They're too bursty. Like, in terms of craft and and moves and handle and things like that, yep. I think Shea's got to be the toughest one-on-one. -on -one. Like, his skill is like nuts. It's, Kyrie's yeah. probably still close just because the handle and the range. But, sure. man, I mean, Shea's got so many tricks in the bag, score-wise, pass-wise, yep. true three-level guy. He's awesome. And he's he's added the defense, too, as you mentioned, too. So he's already he's already punked Steph Curry twice this year. Punked him four times because he did it on IG seven, as well. Two, by the way. Like yeah. the like the Thunder are this isn't yeah. the five hundred Thunder who are a really good story yeah, yeah, yeah. and yeah. Shea's fifth in MVP. This is a Thunder team that is second in a loaded Western Conference. And I think look, we're coming up on the point where Tim Bontemps does his first third of the season MVP straw poll. I would be very surprised if Shea is in top three at the at the first third of the way mark. Yeah, he deserves it, man. Good for yeah. him. Congratulations, Shea. And that was a sick jersey to pull out too. Yeah, break. Where do you get that from? Shea is good. Um, I can't say. Um, next up, the Los Angeles Lakers, uh, it was reported yesterday, are going to be raising a banner for their in-season tournament win. And there was a lot of chatter about, you know, the Lakers being a glorious franchise. Um, you know, they, they shouldn't stoop to this level to, to raise a banner for this NBA Cup. Uh, what are your thoughts, guys? I think, it's, I think it's lame that people are finding ways to discredit winning. Mm. 
you know what? You think it's <laughs> the only reason you're mad is because your your team is not putting up a banner in your in your room. Like you go to, for example, and I always make the comparisons to soccer, but you go to like you know uh, Liverpool's training facilities, yeah, and you walk in and there is a wall where it has the number of uh, Champions League trophies they've won, mm. the number of league trophies that they've won, the number of FA Cup trophies that they won, the amount of League Cup trophies that they won. It's just on the wall. You celebrate all of them. Now, of course, you celebrate certain things like a Champions League way more than others, just like you would celebrate a championship more than others. But, like, you're starting a tradition, and you you have brought this, or, like, the new situation in, and they want it. So, like, And, like, do we want people, like, everyone, like, it's just I don't want to do the, like, wing, everyone man. says this stuff, but, like, people have asked for a long time to make the regular season more important, and the in-season tournament was not perfect, but why are we then turning around, like, clowning guys for caring about something that, I mean, like, is competitive games it made the regular season more important it is a thing that eventually maybe will mean something also like if you just wanted to celebrate and spray champagne because you won 500k i wouldn't but if i won 500k right now I, i'd pull yeah. a bottle out for the three of us i would hope so yeah I would so hope a minimum we um, get a bottle. i don't know i think some of it is just like everyone has an opinion on everything and yeah. you're gonna get some of that um and they're at least making it look different apparently it's gonna be a different color and a different shape mm, and stuff like fine, that yeah. um also, like, I think the real answer is Adam Silver probably told the Lakers, you have to do this. This is important to the league, and, and we'll be very upset with you if you don't. Once again, LeBron is doing this, you know, called Adam Silver a genius, you know, probably approved this banner. <laughs> uh, so then he can own a, a Las Vegas franchise yeah. while he plays with his son uh, on the Lakers still. Yeah. I see you, LeBron. I'm familiar with your game, man. You yeah. can't fool me. Um, next up. John ja Morant is almost making his return. I believe he was testifying in court this week. Yeah, um, for the lawsuit where he's alleged to have assaulted a teen and they're counter-arguing right. that it was self-defense. Yeah. And there, there's, there are a bunch of weird clips online of, like, they're getting Jaw to, like, show them, at, like, the the technique of a basketball pass. And, like, they're they're showing highlights of his dunks yeah. to be like, this is the force he can... Is this when they're going to make Azotam show, show them in court yeah. how to log into Synergy? Yeah. And steal data. Yeah. <laughs> Drake's, Drake's in the corner. I see a lot of synergy. Prove to us that Pascal's the number one post scorer in the league. Walk us through that. Um, um, anyways, oh, um, he is, uh, John Moran is nearing his return mm -hmm. from his 25 game suspension. Mm -hmm. um, you know, he's slated to be back on December 19th. Uh, Adam Silver was asked about this. Um, I believe when he held a presser at the uh, in Vegas at the IST and said that so Wait, far this he's was when he called himself Heaven Kissinger unprompted. I think this was another thing. Yeah, yeah. it was. Uh, okay. Um, right. I'm enjoying all the banter. Um, anyway, Silver says he still needs to talk to Ja, but he's complied with everything to date. The Grizzlies are one of the few teams that are worse than the Raptors mm. right now. Six mm. and sixteen, six games out of the play-in. I guess we'll throw it to. Um, uh, Grizzlies preseason believer Will Lou over here. Is, uh, it, is it too late? Is it too late for uh, for the Grizzlies to get back into things here? I don't think it's too late. Like, but There's six games back of the play-in already. Yeah, I I still think that like Jaw coming in is going to be obviously a huge impact. The issue is like they lost Stephen Adams like literally at the start of the season, him without even playing a game, and they needed to be really like imposing defensively. And I think they were able to do that with him and also Jaron Jackson Jr. together. Uh, and on top of that, they've had a whole bunch of injuries since then. Like they've just kind of been like really, really lost. But I also do think that Jaws, like we can't deny the fact that he's going to come in and 
Like, could this team finish 500? Like, could they be 10 games of 500 with Jaw? I mean, maybe. The, the last two years, Doable. in about 60 games each season, he was worth an estimated nine and a half and eight and a half wins. So okay. if we look at, yeah. you know, that, and that is about the number of games he'll get to play here. He'll sure, get the, he's sure. eligible to play in 57 games. So, you know, we can look at maybe that's an eight and a half win difference. Now, he's not replacing replacement level guys like that. They have some NBA guards in there, but it does nicely shift everyone into a more suitable role. Yeah. Gives you more options playing small a little bit um, or at least with like an extra guard on the floor. So I think it'll help. Um, I just like I think 500 is probably too like they'd have to make up 10 games to finish 500. They would. They would. They'd have to pull off a couple of long like they would have to yeah. throw four or they'd five have to go piece 35 of 35 and 25 yeah. the rest of the way. By and the that's way. and that they have a couple games still before Jock comes back so that yeah. could be even worse. But like look at like the last game for example the Mavericks um they played against the Mavericks they lost. Their starters were Jaron Jackson Jr. obviously Desmond he Bain. He had like a 40 piece last night. Yeah, Jaron Jackson Jr. had 41, Desmond Bain had 28. Their other three starters, Santi Aldama, your boy. That's my boy. Yeah. 6 points. David nice. Roddy, the body, eight points. Yeah, the Pacific Mall, Dylan Brooks. Yeah. Uh, and then Derek Rose in the year 2023. <laughs> no way. Derek Rose well, is the starting point the guard, and he had Marcus seven Smart's points. Out. Yeah, where's, where's, yeah. So where's Jacob Gilliard, man? Jacob Gilliard was not used off the bench. DMPCD. Yeah. Um, they have a guy named G.G. Jackson? That's right. Yeah. He's 18 years old. Good they also, game, uh, good game, Jackson. They have to... Uh, <laughs> Uh, they also have to clear a roster spot when jaw comes back because they've been playing i I think they'll be okay on that yeah um i think shaquille harrison i gotta go um yeah i'm looking at the west right now forget about the grizzlies for a second let's just assume they don't get back into this right now it's 11 teams fighting for those 10 playoff spots including the plane sitting two games out yeah so of these teams okay so we've got the top six right now we know there can be a lot of movement right now the play-in is houston clippers phoenix New Orleans, and then Warriors on the outside looking in two games back of New Orleans. Mm. Out of those five teams, do you see any of those teams being able to really make a push up to the top six? I think the Warriors are clearly the most... Well, actually, now that the Clippers are on the uprise, I don't know, but... And like, the Suns get Beal back tonight. I, yeah. I know KD is is out, so we're still not going to see their big three together, but if <laughs> we'll they're getting even... Yeah, uh, if they're getting a little bit of, of Beal now, too, yeah. like, we're, we're talking, it's only like a game, a game and a half difference between them and, like, the Kings. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which team Which team out of those five would you pick most likely to end up in the top six? I buy the Warriors, but they have literally thrown away. I've watched them throw away, like, four or five games already this season. Up, like, 15 to 20. Up 15, yeah. up 20 22, points. yeah. You know, in, in, the, in their game against OKC, they're up, like, three with, like, uh, about 10 seconds left, and they got a guard. And Draymond just intentionally fouls Chet Holmgren as he's shooting a three. Like, he's literally shooting the three. And Draymond's like, no, 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 I'm going to foul him. And then he's, like, stomping around and being like, that's on the floor. That's on the floor. Chloe was not on the floor. <laughs> do you think Do you think Draymond will be there when uh, LeBron and the Lakers raise their in-season banner? He probably will be. Do you think he'll be there to celebrate with LeBron? He'll put on a mustache and, and tell other people. He's like, yeah, what's I'm Draymond su- Green? I'm surprised you picked yeah. the Warriors, man. I don't have no, a lot of confidence in I've the Warriors right now. I've seen them play such good basketball, even with this group not necessarily playing up to yeah. par. They just make so many dumb mistakes. Like, yeah. they have, like, they honestly probably make more dumb mistakes than the Raptors do. They just have really good quality and yeah. shot makers around that as well. But I don't know. I, I, I'm i going to choose to go down with the ship like the Warriors are. But, like, some of this is just so self-inflicted that I think they could turn it around. Yeah, I, I'm having trouble picking who I think will be the team that goes up into the top six. I'm pretty confident it'll be the Kings that come down. Okay. Uh, I just okay, okay. I still don't really believe the defense is still bad. They barely... Over the Mavs? 
Yeah, I mean, the Kings have barely outscored their opponents in their five games over 500. Like, they're, okay. they're due right. some regression there. And I think the Mavs are, I mean, we hear about the Kings, but being traded, I think the Mavs are going to be desperate to make this work. And I think the Mavs could be a, a team that adds between now and the deadline. I guess I'll say the Clippers to, to mm. elevate. They have won four in a row. The, you know, the plus minus stuff since they figured it out and moved Russ to the, be- to the bench is trending in the right direction. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, I don't think they're flawless, but I think, you know, I'm, I'm confident that the Clippers and Suns are better than the Kings and the Pelicans probably are as well. So yeah. I think one of those teams will, will jump up. Yeah, I was, was going to pick Phoenix. So I guess we all pick different teams. I, th- I wanted to pick Phoenix, but yeah. then I also had them as you my lock to be under 51. Under, yeah. But under 51 they still, could still seems, be in there. Yeah, they, they, could, still, they could do both. So what about at the top? You know, Minnesota is 17 and 5 right now. OKC, like we yeah. mentioned, is the number two seed. We got Dallas there. Of those three, do you see them holding that kind of top six spot or even top three? Who would you see? Minnesota? Uh, Minnesota, OKC, and Dallas. They're top of the West right now. Is there a team where you're like, oh, I don't really believe this right now? I mean, Dallas at a top Probably three Dallas. level. Yeah. I, I don't yeah. know about them sliding yeah. all the way out of the top six. Yeah. Um, but yeah, as a top three level. Minnesota and OKC are weird because like I don't I still don't think they're like the ceiling is quite as high as, you know, Denver, who are sure. the defending yeah. champs. Yeah. But those teams are also, yes, we should absolutely care about the regular season. We should care about avoiding the play and we should care about getting a top seed and home court advantage. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we know that teams like the Nuggets and Lakers maybe aren't going to care that much about pushing for the top seed. So I'm a little more confident in Minnesota OKC. OKC also has like a monster point differential. Like they yeah, have yeah. they have the point differential of a 15 and 7 team. This isn't smoke and mirrors. Mm-hmm. They also got great depth. And yeah. they got a great system. Like it's just every time you watch OKC, it's like it must be exhausting and to play against. They're this not team, gonna man. do it, but they could absolutely push in for someone at yeah. the deadline if they wanted to. Like, Nobody has more draft assets than them. Like yeah. Fork was mentioning, it's like if this team was able to acquire Pascal Siakam to join what is already a really, really nice two way team, like it would just take them to another level. Even am I suggesting of them getting a center? Like just mm-hmm. go something cheaper, get Yaka Pertle, for example, in this group. You can have him, you know, go up against some of the bigger centers. It doesn't matter if he doesn't close because you can close small with Chet, but you can play more mis- like matchups. I think that's the one thing they're missing is that they don't have a true seven-footer who can, like, uh, does this sound like an advertisement? Is, is, is Sam Presti buying this? <laughs> but, like, seriously, they have really done a great job of building an identity. And then around a young coach who obviously hasn't really coached in that many levels and people aren't that familiar with, but when you watch the Thunder play, Obviously, they're young, and that's the front office. But, like, they all just drive, kick, drive, kick, drive, kick. Like, yeah. it's, yeah. They kick push like they Lupe push. Fiasco? Yeah, they actually, this is the Lupe Fiasco team. <laughs> yeah, Jalen Williams yeah. Is getting real good. Oh, um, my God. Yeah, if, by the way, if we trade on Pascal, I need, like, it can't just be, like, Josh Giddy coming back or whatever. First of all, I don't want Josh Giddy, period. Yeah. But, like, I, I would need, like. Give us two Jalen Williamses, man. <laughs> we'll just uh, take two. Uh, trying to get we'll a Bogo. Yeah. Trying to get a Bogo. Uh, two, two more things before we go. By the way, I doubt we can get Jalen Williams. Don't yeah. yeah, it would be nice, but I, I don't know. Um, I guess it's a pretty good Coach of the Year battle shaping up. I know the Ringer just put out their quarter mark awards. We might get to that later this week, but like Jamal Mosley in Orlando, Mark Dagno in OKC, and our guy Finchy, Chris Finch in Minnesota. Mm. Like that's gonna be looking nice. And the note about Ben Golliver, who you, who's gonna join us in the final segment, is. You know, last time he was on, it was early in the season. I think the Spurs just wrapped up two games in Phoenix. Mm. And, you know, Wembayama was really impressive. They haven't won a single game since we talked to Ben. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, it's been that long. It's tough because uh, I, I felt like Wemby mania would be like a year-long theme. Yeah. And it literally just died with the yeah. fact that they never win Popovich said, nah, bro. <laughs> 
The only thing I've key. heard from the Spurs since then is Greg Popovich grabbing the mic. Yeah, yeah, Samson yeah. folk style being like, guys, we don't do this here. <laughs> I really thought the Spurs, I was like, man, the Spurs can make the conference finals this year. Never mind. Yeah. Never mind. That's tough. Yeah, Anyways. Coach of the Year vote's tough. Yeah, I it's, agree. I don't, uh, I mean, I think, you know, it's, it's a little early still and they're not on that level, but I think some people give Emma Udoka love as well for yeah. the, the Rockets oh, he, being the most be, improved. He'll be in the top five. Yeah, the most improved defense like at 11 be, and 9 right now. I feel like it's going to be Orlando and OKC if they keep, yeah. if they keep, they're standing, obviously. Honestly, between those two, if Orlando keeps up what they're doing, because they're sixteen and seven right now, yeah, they're six. The Orlando Magic are sixteen and seven. Hey, man, listen. If Philly finishes with the one seed, Nick Nurse going to be there too, man. I think the issue with that is he's been coach. He's of the already playoffs. been coach of the year. Yeah. Oh, by the way, we have this uh, Nick Nurse bobblehead. Yeah, why is it in here? Oh, yeah. Why'd you bring that, man? That's well, it was, your, it was your decision. Oh, you it said was? you said you wish you had a Fred VanVleet bobblehead too, just to taunt Raptors. <laughs> um, last thought on that. Um, one, I don't think Nick Nurse would be in the coach of the year mix just because we've seen the 76ers do this in the regular season before. I don't think anyone's going to be like, obviously you don't get coach of the year for what happens in the playoffs. Mm. But I do think some people still look at the Sixers and be like, well, we don't know it's different until then. Mm. Um, but the other thing is you guys mentioned Minnesota, Orlando and OKC as candidates. And I threw Houston in there. Mm -hmm. Those four teams are all top five in defense. Yeah, you can't, always control, been, you can't always control what offensive talent you have, how yeah. much the threes drop. If you don't have shooters, the threes just won't drop. Mm -hmm. Cannot be 24th in defense over a one-month stretch when you're supposed to, like, I, not, yeah. sorry to circle this back to Raptors no, no, negativity, no, I, I like this. but I it like really, this. it really show. strikes home. Like Orlando is doing a better version of what the Raptors are trying to do. Last year's OKC team was very similar to the Raptors strict tactically on defense. They prioritized forcing turnovers and they had no, they had no natural rim protection. Mm. They were the Raptors pre Acapurto and they did a better job of it. Um, you know, Houston, obviously with, with Fred there, that's made a difference, but Houston's second in defense with, Alperen Shangun on the floor I mean. for like 38 minutes a game or 35 yeah. minutes a game who, you know, people had real concerns about his defensive capability. This is something, not everyone could be a top five defense, but you have more control over how good your defense is night to night than you do of, hey, are our threes going to drop tonight? And it's been so disappointing to see the Raptors not even close to that mix. Raptors had like top five, top six defenses with JV in the middle, Louis Scola at four, Damari Carroll at three, DeMar DeRozan at two and Kyle Lowry at one. There's exactly one good defender in that group in Kyle Lowry. And they were able to be top six defensively. And it, of course, they brought guys that were good defenders off the bench like Corey Joseph and Bismarck Biombo back in the day. But you compare that defensive personnel to what the Raptors are working with right now and you're telling me that a good coach is bringing the best out of them defensively? No. Like, you look at the Houston Rockets. As you mentioned, like, you, you, you can pick both rosters. You can put all the, the players up, and you can draft who's the best defenders that you want to build a defense with. It will take a while until you got to Fred Van Vliet, who will probably be the number one guy you would take off, this, off that team. But you know there are better defenders on the Raptors than Fred, who obviously was here for a long time. Yeah, I mean, Dylan Brooks probably goes okay, higher Brooks, than my that. Bad, but... My bad, my bad. Dylan Brooks goes above. But still, like, Dylan Brooks alone shouldn't be turning your whole defense around. That's what a strong coach who can really get through to his players, get them to lock in and buy in and commit to playing hard, things like transition defense, which is nothing but playing hard, and, of course, taking good shots. But still, both things are within your own control. They don't do that. Yeah, listen, and the Raps are either going to finish 10th or 11th in the East. <laughs> that is what we're, that's what we're playing for. It's the 10-11 bowl this week, two straight games against the Hawks. That's right. Oh, boy. Winner takes Pascal Siakam. Okay, we're going to take another break, our last break. Been your host, Willow. You've been listening to The Raptor Show on the Sportsline Radio Network.
big guests and bigger opinions on everything happening in Leafsland. Real Kipper and Born. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the Raptors show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. I'm your host, Wayne Malou. For the last segment here, I'm joined by co-host Blake Murphy, and we are joined on the line by Ben Golliver of the Washington Post. Uh, ben, you know, Alex just made me realize that the last time we got you on was after Wemby uh, made that great comeback against the Suns, and they beat him, I think, twice in the span of a week. And it's been like probably over a month since we had you on and the, the Spurs have not won a game in that time. So uh, I guess my question is, are you spending much time in San Antonio these days? No, and actually I'm reporting live from the airport today. Still no sign of Otani's plane, but I'll keep you guys oh. updated here in Southern California. Oh. Uh, no, it sounds to me like you're giving me the credit for being the good luck charm for Wemby's career. As soon as I stop covering the Spurs, they just fall off a cliff. Is that right? Yeah, that sounds. About that's right. what we were going for initially until the Otani comment, and now, now I'm going to frame it as you broke him. You did something to disrupt the okay. the good that was happening in San Antonio. Yeah, as a neutral, as obviously someone who is not partial to the Toronto Blue Jays, how funny is it as a neutral that Blue Jays fans obsessed themselves and willed Shohei Otani into this plane, <laughs> and then what stepped out was a Dragons Den member. <laughs> Yeah, look, you guys could treat me like a hostile witness. I get it. That was probably a little below the belt right off the top. Uh, I'll just good. say, I mean, I do feel like there's some self-inflicted wounds from Toronto fan bases. You know, you guys just take it a little bit too far yeah, sometimes. I appreciate the passion. I think it's a good thing. Um, you know, I actually went to go see Otani pitch uh, one of his last games here in Anaheim because I was certain they were going to trade him at the deadline because uh, that seemed like the pretty logical thing to do, and they didn't, and now it blew up in their face, and, and thankfully he'll be uh, across town. Uh, up at Dodger Stadium, so maybe I'll be able to get him to see him next year. But uh, yeah, what a circus that was. Sorry to derail the conversation, but uh, no, it's all good. Sorry, guys. A- at least the Angels, through all that, managed to duck just below the luxury tax line. That's right. the uh, right. that's the important thing there with Otani. Uh, all right, let's pivot here a little bit. Uh, so Ben, instead of being in San Antonio, you were just down in Las Vegas. You were on the scene for the in-season tournaments neutral site games um we all you know saturday was a, a lot of fun i think a lot, most people seem to enjoy the in-season tournament overall you're the first person we've talked to though who was there and you know you wrote a, a piece for the washington post the nba cup must craft a better game atmosphere to be a lasting hit so am i reading that correctly that in vegas itself it, it lacked just a little oomph no, exactly right. I mean, I'm sure you guys have been going to basketball tournaments since you were little kids, right? And I've been to a bunch of over the years, whether it's AAU tournaments, the NCAA tournament, uh, you know, you might, might look at the NBA playoffs as a basketball tournament, the Olympics. Uh, and there's been some weird situations too, like the bubble when there's no fans or the Olympics when there's no fans in Tokyo. So it's been a wide range of game day experiences to kind of compare this to. And you know, I think they got a really strong television rating. This was obviously a made-for-television event. But I think if the NBA Cup or the in-season tournament, whatever you want to call it, is really going to have a lasting legacy and kind of be taken seriously, they need to think long and hard about pumping up the actual atmosphere in the arenas. I think the issue that we had in Las Vegas is that, first of all, they were playing that first game, the Pacers versus the Bucks on Thursday at 2 p.m., 
They're playing it basically two or three days after those teams even qualified from the quarterfinals. So there's no Bucks fans in the building, practically. There's hardly any Pacers fans in the building. Yes, Tyrese Halliburton's dad was sitting courtside having a great time loving life, but uh -huh. you need more than blood relatives, I think, to create a real atmosphere, right? You guys have seen Raptors games at sure. the playoffs. I mean, yeah. it's a little bit crazy, sometimes too crazy, like, you know, the, the Kevin Durant incident, right? But there was just oh, what are none we doing, of man? that Let's, let's hang up on Ben right now. <laughs> There is none of that intensity. There's none of that back and forth between the uh, the rival fan bases in uh, the arena. Yeah. And it just kind of turned into a Lakers pep rally, right? Because, of course, there's mm -hmm. going to be a lot of fa uh, Lakers fans coming from Los Angeles or living there in Las Vegas. And so the neutral site, to me, was not neutral, and it was not a charged atmosphere. And, and I think they got to step back and ask, you know, how many better basketball cities are there than Las Vegas where they could host this thing? I mean, mm -hmm. I think there's at least 15 among NBA cities, I would include Toronto in that group. Sure. There's so many better venues than T-Mobile Arena. It's a solid arena. It's very passable. There's nothing super spectacular about it. You would have a much better crowd in Madison Square Garden. You'd have better celebrities mm -hmm. if that's your thing. And it seems like that's the NBA's thing is having guys like Timothy Chalamet sit in courtside or Steffi Graf, whoever else they yeah. kind of brought out for this uh, tournament, right? But you put it at like the new Intuit Dome in Inglewood when that opens up next year, or you put it in Madison Square Garden. Heck, you even put it in Miami, and maybe you've got some season ticket holders who decide to show up. Not having like a designated group of NBA fans in Las Vegas really worked against this event, and it prevented it from being something where I feel like people should have FOMO about it. It's okay if you didn't go. It was mm -hmm. okay to watch on TV, and that's a problem to me because I think if you really want this to be a hit – You've got to want people from across the country saying, I've got to book my ticket to go see that, right? I've got to go make this a destination. And at this point, the NBA Cup doesn't hit that standard. Yeah. You know, I, I there was the comparison made to like Champions League and, you know, what that looks like or even the FA Cup final for someone. Like, you know well in advance what city that's going to be in, yes. what time that's going to be in. And you have a really, like, even after that semifinals and you have the two finalists determined, you still have like two, three weeks to arrange plans as you mentioned like you got two three days who 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 is just like dropping everything in two three days to fly to vegas to watch you know uh the bucks play you know the pacers nobody in, in december that's the yeah. answer that's, nobody nobody that, did it that's a, that's the problem right yeah. do you think they should just back it up a week if you had 10 days yes. like, let's say the raptors had made it if you guys had 10 days you'd be there right you Regardless can make plans at least or fans yeah what yeah, are you gonna tell go. your boss like hey i'm just not coming in like <laughs> sorry the issues of tournaments um like, and I got to go tomorrow. Like, yeah, you probably need to give it some distance just to make it make sense logistically. Um, on the TV side of things, so they had a really dim on, on you know, they had the theater lighting, uh, which yeah. obviously helped to extenuate, uh, like, the actual product on the court. The court being bright also helped with that. In the arena, like, was it, like, that dark? And also, like, was it dark because they were trying to hide empty seats? I think so. I mean, I think that was part of the reason why they did it. In the arena, yeah. the court looked awesome. The guys really looked like they were on a stage. So I thought the lighting worked really well in person. Okay. But for that first game, it was half full, you know, at 2 p.m. in Vegas on a Thursday. And, you know, unfortunately, there was also a mass shooting the day before. And so Vegas oh, was in a very somber mood, um, you know, because of that UNLV shooting. And so, yeah, right. you know, they did a moment of silence before that. And, you know, maybe that was a contributing factor on Thursday. I'm not sure. But um, you know, the, the Lakers fans showed up for the second game. They definitely showed up for that championship game. But I do think the lighting part can stay for me. I thought it worked out pretty well. I didn't like the red on the court. I would have changed that. I actually would have gone with like an OVO golden black motif, right. I think, to kind of match the trophy. I think that would have been a better look, uh, you know, for that stage. But 
Um, to me, it was less about the lighting and more just about like, where are the diehard fans? If they put mm. this thing in Toronto on the same timing, I bet you at least 10,000 Raptors fans are showing up just to go see what it's all about, sure. right? Even if the Raptors aren't in it. And I don't think they need to worry about home court advantage because the Lakers already had home court advantage in Las mm. Vegas, right? So the idea of a neutral site to me was kind of uh, overblown. I, I think there's been Super Bowls where the winning team played in their own city in the Super Bowl. Like, Sometimes that happens. I, I just think that they need to consider finding the best basketball markets, the best basketball buildings, and building this thing out so that true diehards, people who are going to get there and cheer and have the old school jerseys on and be really ready to kind of represent for their teams, uh, are able to kind of create this uh, this atmosphere that just wasn't there in Las Vegas. It felt corporate. I'll be honest. It felt a little bit soulless in the building. Um, and that's not what you're quite going for. I thought they got pretty good games. Halliburton was incredible on Saturday, right? Uh, LeBron played the best game I've seen him play since the 2020 finals in that semifinals against uh, the Pelicans who, you know, who knows, maybe they went out a little bit, and had too much fun the night before because they just didn't show up. And the championship game was close. Like they got a decent game. It's not like they got skunked, but the atmosphere did not reflect the quality of play on the court. And I think that's where I would try to start with the tweaks. Everybody wants to say, oh, you know, change the stakes. You know, you got to make this more meaningful. I think that's important, too. But I would really try to figure out how can you uh, turn this into an electric atmosphere, sort of like a Cameron Indoor Arena at Duke, right? Or a crazy high school basketball tournament where the two fan bases are yelling back and forth at each other, overrated and all that kind of stuff. They just need more of that to... Uh, you know, so they can you know, lighten up the arena and just show the crowd rather than trying to hide the crowd. To me, the crowd is such an important element of any big event like this, especially one that's trying to build credibility and build momentum and build a history here over, say, the next 10 or 20 years. In terms of that history that you're going to try to build with this, um, certainly, you know, if it was always in one spot, that's one thing. If the home court advantage became a big part of the story, and who knows, those point differential tiebreakers matter even more at the top because you want the home court advantage. We'll, we'll see how that shakes out. But in terms of the history and setting the stage for what this is going to become, how helpful do you think it will be for the league that it was LeBron and the Lakers who won the inaugural one? Well, David Stern's old line was his dream finals matchup was Lakers versus Lakers. I mean, once they got the Lakers into the final, if I was an NBA executive, I would have been down on my knees praying. I would have been so happy because had they not had the Lakers in the semifinal and the final, I think you would have had the same issues at the gate in terms of attracting fans. And then you really would have had to kind of talk about, well, is this a success? Is this even working? Are people buying into it? And I think the Lakers presence and especially LeBron's presence in terms of how seriously he took this tournament from the start and how well he played in Las Vegas, kind of setting the tone for the tournament, it papered over a lot of the potential weaknesses. And so if we fast forward to next year and the Lakers don't make it, that's what I'm concerned about. If they don't take some of these steps to address, um, you know, fan involvement, or, you know, giving like season ticket holders for the teams discounted or free tickets. So if they're willing to travel to that arena, they can go watch their team play something that just gets some real genuine energy in that building because, um, you know, the Lakers save their butts. There's no question yeah. about it, right? I think the Lakers aren't in there. This this entire thing feels different. And, you know, you can say the same thing about the bubble too. You know, I was there for sure. And it uh, it ended on a high note because it adds to LeBron's legacy. It gets people, uh, you know, taking that entire experience more seriously. Or, you know, it gets the haters to say Mickey Mouse ring. I understand. But that's also good for business because you're getting people talking either way. Had this been Pelicans Pacers in the final there may have actually been tumbleweeds in the building. Like it's mm. definitely possible. And uh, there wasn't, they didn't narrowly avert that because the Lakers killed the Pelicans. 
but they were only one game away from having that sort of worst case scenario. Yeah, the league uh, owes LeBron a lot, maybe even a whole franchise in Las Vegas, <laughs> which was kind of the subtext of the whole thing. It was funny even watching because you were there in person watching the TV broadcast, and it was like uh, maybe five, maybe ten minutes right before tip-off, and the broadcast had the panel on ESPN, and all of them were picking LeBron to win, and they were openly begging LeBron to win this for the sake of the tournament, which kind of did, you know, obviously happen, but as, yeah, as you mentioned, there is also, um, yeah, just this very soullessness about it. But I, look, the games were fun, and I think that's, for me, the biggest thing. Um, did you hear any feedback from players, coaches, you know, the league, et cetera, et cetera, on, and sort of like the reception, the experience of playing in it? Well, I think there was some nerves going into this event, like, was it going to work? And so I think the league came out very happy with how it played out. I mean, they got like 4.6 million people watching on television. They got the LeBron getting to hold up the trophy. You know, yep. they uh, they got all the interplay between Silver and LeBron kind of feeling like best buddies, making the jokes that you were making about, is he going to get a franchise? No, it doesn't come with that. Ha, ha, ha. I just want to paint the color behind the scenes, though. So, you know, they did this very brief champagne room situation where it was like right. not in the locker room. It was like this is the designated place where you can go <laughs> spray champagne if you want. And it was Don't such ruin a the locker formality. room. It's crazy, but all right. <laughs> yeah, no, I, but I'm just giving it to you straight. Yeah, yeah, and no, then when they got back to the locker room, LeBron's just sitting at his locker. He's like, you know, caked in ice. He's yeah. just sitting there. He's not really celebrating. He's munching on some grapes. You know, it's okay. just like this is the least excited <laughs> title celebration I've ever seen. The trophy is sitting on the table yeah. unattended right next to some bandages and some gum. You know, it's just there. Like, this is not – it didn't feel like any sort yeah. of a playoff title celebration uh, we've ever seen before, right? So um, he had the goggles on, probably didn't actually need them. And so – and then they tried to kick everybody out of the building by 11 p.m. They're like, look, you don't what? have to, you know, leave. You don't have to go home, but you got to get out of here, right? So you basically had like two hours or so to write your story, and then you had to bounce, and they were already turning the arena over to whatever the next thing it was going to be. So oh. uh, like I said, I mean, they came, they saw, they conquered. I think that was sort of the uh, you know, the, the feeling. And you know, the one guy who whose comment stuck out to me was D'Angelo Russell because you know he said he was really excited to win the money because it was going to finance his All-Star weekend vacations and his off-season vacations. I was like, great. That's very good for D'Angelo Russell. It's very mm -hmm. good for the Lakers guys who aren't making as much money as D'Angelo Russell. I'm sure the players, our accountants, were massive winners from the in-season <laughs> tournament, right? But if you're trying to appeal to the casual fans or people who might be considering a trip yeah. uh, to the tournament in the future years, you've got to have something for those fans to kind of get invested in, whether it's increased stakes or, or, or something else, a better environment, because – who really cares where D'Angelo Russell's, you know, which island he's going to go on in July? Nobody cares. And and it was a little bit cringy. And the whole thing, you know, again, it, it felt a little soulless, like nakedly capitalistic, right? Here we are creating this event solely so we can hand money out. That's like the entire purpose of it and, and kind of milk money from consumers. And I, I just think the NBA can be better than that, uh, personally. Get ready to learn capitalism, buddy. That's, uh, that is uh, going to be a part of it. Uh, before we let you go, I, I know you had a piece at the Washington Post heading in about the actual hardware players received that trophy and things like that. Um, yep. The all-tournament team, does it look as much like a bowling ball in person as it did in the pictures, or does it look like, is it a basketball? Oh, that's a great question. It, I've only seen the pictures. I actually didn't get to oh, see okay. it Oh, okay, sorry. I thought you and got to uh, have a look. Well, they somehow never... Um, named the all-tournament team until like Monday everybody had left I don't know if there was hanging chads involved or like you know they really had to go through this very careful voting process sorry that was an American political reference for oh, you we guys. get it um 
Yeah, no, it was just like, come on, we can't even name the alternative team. What's going on here? So I saw the MVP trophy, which was very cool. And the actual NBA Cup trophy, I thought, was excellent. Like, I wouldn't change it. It was solid. It was the right size. It felt very soccer, you know, when LeBron mm -hmm. lifted it up. But um, I do think that the bowling ball comparison is fair based on the pictures that I saw. But I, I can't confirm. I don't know if they had the three finger holes or not. Uh, but, uh, you know, it was different you know and, and lebron handed his mvp trophy immediately to maverick carter i don't know if he ever got it back or if that was just a gift uh but maybe you know somewhere on maverick carter's uh, uh -huh. you know fireplace is going to be the first in-season tournament mvp trophy one day <laughs> yeah all right well last thing then um you were there for ronnie james's usc debut uh we got like two minutes for this so how, how was that uh, obviously uh the context there being that ronnie had the health scare he had uh I believe a cardiac arrest and then he came back and he was able to take the floor again it's really great to see him being healthy first and foremost but what was the atmosphere like and what was the reception like there well usc basketball is like pretty low on the totem pole in terms of the biggest you know events sporting events in la i mean obviously ucla is the powerhouse usc is kind of the little brother uh you know demar DeRozan kind of helped give them a little era and he's got his own weight room uh you know that he paid for cool. for usc so they got some pretty nice facilities that uh, thanks to uh, to DeMar, DeMar DeRozan, but uh, normally they say the student section's empty and the building's half full. Every, you know, it was completely packed out for Bronny James. They sold the thing out. Uh, students were lined up two hours in advance to kind of get their spot in the student section. And I think everybody felt like you just felt, which is it's so nice to have this guy back on the yeah. court. It's almost incredible that he's been able to get back five months after, you know, a career and life-threatening incident. I also think it's changed the conversation. This is no longer about... Can Bronny like live up to his father's shadow? Is he going to be the next Marcus Jordan? You know, all that stuff is like put to the wayside. And it's all just about like, man, this kid seems pretty cool. He seems pretty down to earth for being as famous and rich as he's been his entire life. And hard on defense. He moves the basketball on offense. He's kind of a three-point shooter off-ball type of guy. He's not trying to put his head down and dunk on you every single moment. And he's just a good kid. And I think that he really rallied a lot of support not only from the USC fans, but I think actually from a lot of the media who was in attendance who really appreciated how he conducted his business and uh, are just kind of glad to see him back on the court and maybe getting back on track towards a potential NBA career. Uh, LeBron was overjoyed, showed up early, gave Bronny a little love tap when he was going to take a seat uh, courtside. Gloria James was there, you know, filming uh, with her camera phone, just like a proud grandmother. His little sister was there. A whole bunch of clutch people were there. Lakers GM Rob Polinka was there to show support as well. So it felt kind of like this warm embrace for Bronny. And in this age where like everybody's just hating all the time, especially on Twitter or X, whatever you want to call it, it was like actually kind of nice and like refreshing. You know, it's like people are actually kind of behind this guy and excited to see what he can do. Yeah, that's that's really great. And I'm really happy that he's supported that way. So Ben Golliver of the Washington Post, appreciate you for joining us once again. All right, thanks, guys. All right. Are we going to let him back on the show after he yeah. made fun of Shohei? And if also we're going to only do guests that didn't make fun of Toronto for missing out on Shohei right, and tracking right. planes and stuff, uh, we're going to be a little light on guests. He is a, he is a great guest. And, uh, yeah, okay. That does it for us today. Been your host. One Will tiny Lou. update. What's up? Justice Winslow is making his Raptors 905 debut tonight. He's finally going to play. Game 13. 
That's what we need. Just another forward stay. who doesn't shoot the ball Can well. Can you do that? Hey. There's a 9.05 player potentially on the show tomorrow. So let's. Uh, well, run th- this my could bad. be. I'm, I'm this so could excited. be win number two tonight. Can you do the outro faster than you did yesterday? I'm going to have to. Let's go. I'm your host, Willu. You've been listening to the Raptor Show on the Espresso Radio Network. Make sure you listen to the Raptor <laughs> Show. Wherever you find podcasts, subscribe. Please rate and review. Thanks once again to David Thorpe, Ben Golliver, producer and co host Alex Wong, Blake Murphy, board producer Derek Brandel, Jen Rolnick, Dave Sis, uh, Jeremy Manitad. And uh, we'll be back tomorrow.